We always have a blast chatting with our guests about all sorts of different topics, but sometimes we go off the rails and dig deeper into their automotive and motorsports pasts. As a bonus, let's go behind the scenes with this pit stop minisode for some extra content that didn't quite fit in the main episode. Sit back, enjoy, and remember to like, subscribe, and support BrakeFix on Patreon. Well, let's drop this thing into fourth and talk a little bit more about Mecham itself and the different auctions. You as a commentator, as you mentioned earlier, have to travel all over the country to different events. Obviously, Mecham's biggest event of year being Kissimmee, and there's lots of others, Monterey, Harrisburg, Las Vegas with the motorcycles only, things like that. How do you as a commentator make them all feel different, make them unique? There's always the variables. You never know what kind of car is going to show up, sort of like a box of chocolates, right? But when you're preparing for these events, events, how do you get focused on the different geos that you're stepping into? Fortunately for us, it takes care of itself because each of our own individual auctions has its own personality. And let's take two extremes that you mentioned. We'll take our Kissimmee, Florida auction. Now, keep in mind, we're at Kissimmee twice. We were there in July for what we call our summer special, but that's a fraction of the size of our big auction, world's largest electric car auction. It's in January, Kissimmee, Florida, which is Orlando, by the way. That's a monster. That is an event that is a bucket list item for so many car enthusiasts just to be able to go to that and experience 4,000 cars crossing the auction auction block over a period of almost two weeks. It's just incredible. It is so big and so much fun, and it's continuing to grow and grow and grow each year. Then let's transition over to talk about our Monterey, California auction. That's our traditional auction during Monterey Car Week. That's obviously mid-August every year. It's our smallest individual auction, guys, only 600 cars. But of that 600 cars over three days, we will have the highest per car average of any Mecham auction. And I tell you this contrast of these two, because each of our auctions has their own distinctive personality and purpose. And part of what we do in setting up a day's lineup of cars, keep in mind, typically our shows are six hours long. We'll explain at the top of the show, I will, okay, here's what we're going to see today based on our experience. This is what we can look forward to. These types of cars. And of course, I just have to say, so much of what we do are cars that are in that entry and mid-level category that are affordable to a lot of people. And that's fun to see people come and buy a car that they wanted. And then two, three years later, we see them back to selling it. You know, they're selling the uh, SS396 and they're buying a GTO or 442. And then they're going to do the same thing in a couple of years, 25, 30, $40,000 cars. Maybe they're getting their money. Maybe they're making a little bit. Maybe they're losing a little bit, but they're having fun experiencing a variety of different cars. There's some auctions that are better suited for, called the casual enthusiast. And then there's some that are suited more for the stuff on the high end and other auctions that we have that span the entire spectrum of car collecting. It's easy for us to be able to understand now after doing this on TV for 16 years to know really what to expect. Always a few surprises, but it's pretty easy for us to manage that. We're coming up to Monterey here pretty quick, aren't we, John? Monterey is right around the corner for us. You know, I I remember going to Monterey and it was always fun. You do a lot of foreign cars at Monterey, you know, and Mecham has gone from that uh, muscles and more to pretty much, you know, you want anything. You want a Ferrari, no problem. You want a Bentley, no problem. You want a Mustang, no problem. They'll get it for you. What can people expect when they go to Monterey? Obviously, it's a smaller auction than what, say, Kissimmee would be. What can they expect when they go to Monterey? Monterey, strategically, we've been able to craft that to suit a specific purpose. 
First of all, is in the title, says a lot, the daytime auction. We know at Monterey during car week, there are a lot of events to attend. And a lot of those events are social events. A lot of those events are in the evening hours. So as the daytime auction, what we do is we want to make sure that we get a full day's auction action in, but yet still will allow people to go out and do other things in the course of the afternoon into the evenings. So we limit it to 600 cars, 200 cars per day. The auction will start at 10 o'clock. We'll be done by about three o'clock in the afternoon. It's the only auction like this too. We'll have more Ferraris than Camaros. We'll have more Porsches than Mustangs. Doesn't happen in any other Mecham auction. Remembering one of the auctions I went to, it was a massive tent and it was just filled with these F40s, XJ220s. I mean, it was just mind-blowing. And I remember going to a couple of our subscribers later on that day and they were Ferrari collectors. I remember telling them, did you see the tent at Monterey at Mecham? What do you mean the tent? And I said, oh, dude, you've got to get over in there and see this tent. They've got like five F40s. They have F50s. They have Enzos. They have XJ220s. They have a tent. I'll never forget that look. Mecham? I'm like, yes, Mecham. You've got to go over there. One thing I've always loved about Mecham, it's always been a real family-friendly event. Is there a fee attached to go as a spectator? Do you know that? Is there a fee? Yeah. Tell you what, if you buy tickets in advance at Mecham.com, it's $20, kids 12 and under free. If you wait... For the day of the auction, and you just walk up and you want to buy a ticket, it's $30. That gives you full access to come into the auction grounds, look at all the cars. We've got seating available for those folks that are not bidders. They just want to sit and watch the action. There are no areas off limits to spectators, with the exception of the bidder area right in front of the stage. We've got seats and grandstands for everybody. The feedback that we get for folks that aren't necessarily buyers, not necessarily sellers, although a lot of folks get there and they see a car and they immediately go over and sign up up to be a bidder. That's always a lot of fun to watch that go down. But the feedback we get, folks say a couple things. They say, number one, it's the best car show that we've ever attended because the cars are moving. There's the the sound and the excitement, all of which is intentional in the bidding environment. That's all meant to stimulate our senses, our sense of competition, urgency is stressed. And just as a spectator, not somebody necessarily buying or selling is still very exciting to experience that. You watch them, you see people sit there, they sit there for hour after hour, kind of spellbound in the zone with us as less than every two minutes, there's a completely different car rolling onto the block that you see, hear about, see whether it sells or doesn't sell and what that dollar number is. And boom, right behind it is another car completely nonstop. We love spectators. We encourage it. Some auction companies do not. They want bidders only. We're just the opposite. We love the energy, the enthusiasm, the support, the excitement of having big crowds to come in and just enjoy what we do with the thought, I guess, in the back of our mind that maybe someday these folks will be a customer, maybe not at this auction, but down the road. But more than that, it adds so much to the experience for all of us to see people that are just there for the love of the automobile, not buying or selling. You know, going into that, what are some of the benefits to buying and selling an auction? It might sound like a stupid question, but literally, what are some of the benefits of I want to buy something or I want to sell something? There are other choices to both buy and sell a collector vehicle other than within the auction environment. But it's funny that over time, over the course of many years, again, Beacom Auctions has been doing this for 36 years now, there is a, I guess, a reputation and a culture has developed as it being a full service, satisfying, fun to attend, fun to participate in, to go to an auction, pick out a car or two, buy a car, or if you're a consigner, to sell a car and not have to jump through so many hoops that you might have to, especially as a seller. If you're going to sell a high-end collector car, 
Can you imagine the kind of inquiries you're going to get from brokers and people that want to trade and all these stories that you're going to hear? You can sign your car to Mecham Auction. You don't give it another thought. We handle all of the drama, all the bidders, all the promotion. We handle literally everything from A to Z. We only need to know who to hand the check to when the smoke clears, if they sell their car. That's it. That's all we need to know. So there's a big benefit to a seller, obviously, for that purpose. We make it easy. We make it convenient. And we have a reputation for getting top dollar. So it's really kind of a win-win situation on both ends. Similar from the buyer's side, from the standpoint that it's one-stop shopping. It's a superstore. It's not hunting on the internet, traveling all over the place, spending money only to find out that a car is not what it was described as, being disappointed and doing that two or three times and you begin to get disillusioned. Come to a Mecham auction, get there day before the car or cars that you're interested in, cross the block, look at it at your convenience, at your leisure. There's going to be a ton of cars to look at. Even if you decide not to buy any cars, you're still going to stick around and have a good time, meet some people, and maybe, just as importantly, maybe be exposed to some cars that you hadn't really thought of. Learn about another car or a body style or a color or an option, maybe possibly even change a direction on what your collecting strategy might be by being exposed to hundreds and in most cases, thousands of collector cars. It's fun. It's easy. It's convenient. People see it on television. They want to do it. Well, I want to sell my car. I saw it done. I want to be a buyer. I want to be like they are. And it's just over the years, guys, it's just snowballed and snowballed to the point where we're number one in the world now. There's just nobody else that's going to come up from behind us and take over because our foot is to the floor right now. We're not backing off the gas. Frank Meekum is one of Dana Meekum's four sons. He's been slowly but surely and strategically taking over for his dad, Dana Meekum, who's still our president and still our visionary and still the guy that's in charge. But Frank has really been taking over. We have a new generation of Meekum family member that's going to continue to take this company and move this company forward. And I'll tell you, you got to give a worked with Frank side by side with him for years, give him all the credit for acknowledging that these European cars, both vintage and contemporary from Ferraris to Lamborghinis and beyond, that this is going to be a big part of Mecham Auctions going forward. And it has, but it's taken nothing away from the core of what we all started from, which was muscle cars, Corvettes, and 50s Chrome and Fin era cars. Heck of an organization, guys. But one of the things that comes to mind, and you guys bring it up quite a bit, and it's very important in the hot rod scene and the American classic car scene, in the collector scene here in the United States, is this concept of numbers matching, which is a little bit foreign to the import market. Now, BMW has gone overboard where they put the VIN on every panel and every part in the car, and that's a little bit too far to the extreme. And so how important is this concept of numbers matching in the auction world? That is probably the number one topic at different car shows, especially if there's judging there, where people are really wanting to kind of understand how that works, how it ties into the value, the desirability of the car. And I will just have to say that with as much attention that there is on those terms, and we'll use your term numbers matching here, there really is no hard definition for it. And I'll explain that. Numbers matching simply means that the date codes on a major part and that the part numbers are correct for the year, make, model, and build date of the car itself. But that doesn't mean they're original to that car. And that's where it gets a little sticky. Original and numbers matching don't necessarily mean the same thing. A lot of times numbers matching is perceived as original. Let me give you an example. Guy buys a 1967 Corvette. It does not have an engine has no engine in it. What does he do? He goes out and he says, well, I want to get 
a date coded, correct part numbered, engine, cylinder heads, intake manifold, distributor, carburetor, fill in the blank. And he goes out and he researches that. And there's companies and places out there that are selling all kinds of stuff. And they're actually publishing these numbers out there so you can sort through it. When the smoke clears, he's got a numbers matching engine in his car, but he doesn't have the original engine. Now, you mentioned about BMW putting the VIN or a derivative of the VIN on a variety of different parts. Corvettes, other cars have done that too, not to that extreme. But of course, the oldest trick in the book is restamping those numbers on an engine block in particular, there's a stamp pad where they would stamp on at the factory. They would go ahead and they would stamp those numbers on there. That stamp pad could be cleared off of a number and it can be restamped. So it's not illegal to stamp the VIN on a block. It would be illegal or fraud to say that that's the original engine when the perpetrator purposely did it. Or he could say this was a restoration block. We installed it during the restoration and we restamped the original VIN on it. Full disclosure. How important is it to buy a car that's fully documented, ironclad with an ownership chain and a judging chain going back many years where in likelihood, none of this trickery was performed on. I mean, there's a lot of those cars out there, thanks to folks like MCA, Mustang Club of America on that end, FCA, Ferrari Club of America, Porsche Club of America, Bloomington Gold, GTOAA, Pokey, Pontiac, Open Club International, it goes on and on. They go a long way to help people understand what might be considered to be original, what might consider to be numbers matching. There's guidebooks and there's all kinds of things out there to help somebody work through all of that. But the bottom line is, is original cars with a great pedigree where you know the main components are original to the car are the most valuable and sought after cars. Doesn't mean a car is not good if it doesn't have it. Doesn't mean that at all. It just means that investment grade A-list collectors will try to seek out the best of the best. And those would be cars with the history, the provenance, the documentation that this car is exactly what you think it is. You said it doesn't mean it's not a bad car. Would I be right right in assuming too, let's just stick to the Corvette Porsche thing with numbers matching, because that audience seems to be very, very particular about getting numbers matching all original. They want the best of the best of the best of the best. Yep. All true. If you're just a young guy, you've always liked Corvette, you've always liked Porsche, you just want that car. It's been in a wreck. The engine's been replaced. It's all kind of original. It's the right equipment. Would you discourage somebody younger with the limited finances who happens upon a Corvette or happens upon a Porsche or whatever it might be and tell them, you know, you might want to save some more nickels and dimes and wait for that perfect numbers matching all original car? Or would you just say, yeah, that looks like a great car. Yeah, it's been wrecked, but you can enjoy it. You can get out there and have some fun. Very fair. You know, I said as part of that description, I said a couple of key words and that was investment grade A-list. Look, a vintage Porsche, a vintage Corvette that has an excellent pedigree. Well, guess what? That's not a driver. Yeah, you can maybe drive it on and off of your trailer, drive it in and out of the garage, maybe drive it around the block in your neighborhood just to exercise it once in a while. But that's not a car that you're going to get in and drive and enjoy. A car that doesn't have the original engine, car that has been repainted. There's an unlimited amount of times an engine can be changed, a car can be painted, a car can be restored, and they're cheaper. Those are the cars that you want to buy and drive and enjoy. And honestly, without any agenda at all, it's those buyers, it's 
those enthusiasts that are getting out and experiencing what it's like to be behind a wheel, the controls of these vintage cars, that's where the real enjoyment is. The big collectors with the fancy garages, with all their cars, with all their displays, hey, that's great. They sit there, they bring their friends over, they watch the ball game while they're gazing at all the beautiful cars. But that represents really a small portion of what the heart and soul of car collecting is. It's about folks that want to buy something they can drive and enjoy without worrying about it too much. Still worry about it, just not as much. And there's the flip side of this. I only bring it up because there was a program I watched recently where somebody actually took a numbers matching C2 Stingray convertible, stripped it down and turned it into an EV. And I think a part of all of us inside died that day. And you're like, why would you do that? And to Don's point, take another C2 that's been wrecked or that was in parts or in shambles, especially if you're going to strip it down to the chassis and start over again. It's like, why a numbers matching car? Sell that and then buy something else. You'll have money left over. It also brings up the question of resto mods. And you see a lot of those on the auction block as well, tasteful or otherwise. What are your thoughts on resto mods? Wow. A lot going on there, Eric. So what we have learned, I would say over the past maybe 10, 12 years is the popular popularity and ultimately the acceptance of the resto mod, pro touring, day two, replica. We can even put in there more about that in just a moment, where cars are being modified to suit an individual's taste. Typically, not always, but typically those cars that are being modified, whether they're Cudas or Challengers or Chargers or Corvettes or Camaros or Mustangs, pick your flavor. Typically, they are base model cars, not the high trim levels, not the high horsepower versions, not with the original engines. And it's somebody taking a car, a project, and taking it and turning it into something that they want, what their vision is. And we've learned a few things about that recently. And that is, if those cars are done well, if they're done tastefully, they could bring some pretty big money. People say, well, why do resto-modded cars bring more money than, a, say, like a restored, unmodified car? And in certain cases, they do. And I'll say, it's easy, cost. If you do a resto mod, you're buying a $25,000 engine, you're buying a $10,000 transmission, you're buying a $15,000 chassis, you're buying $5,000 with the brakes. The list goes on and on and on and on, all the modified parts that you buy. And then the labor to craft and make all of that happen versus restoring a car from the 50s, 60s, 70s primarily that are relatively simple cars, simple and robust cars to build, lightly modified, but to build basically back to stock standards. It's a huge part of the collector car market. It's a huge part of, of what we see on the auction block. Lifelong car guy, I'm totally 100% fine with it, with the exception of taking cars with their original drivetrains and pulling those out and modifying the cars to the point where they can't be ever put back to stock. I mean, anything is possible. When I hear the stories where a guy took a really great car to begin with and did a bunch of modifications, it kind of gets me cranked up a little bit. If it's a car that was a project and you see it in pictures and it sat in back of a barn forever and it was a derelict car ready for the junkyard and now it's a $300,000 resto mod that's a showstopper, much in favor of that car getting a second life to a slightly younger demographic, by the way, than the folks that are coveting what's the heart of the collector car market, 50s, 60s, and early 70s cars, to a slightly older demographic that have a tendency to go more towards either original cars or just lightly modified cars. Based on any changes you may have seen in audience at these auctions, the older generation tends to appreciate the more pure, the more original form, more than a modified car. I'm guessing you would say that the younger generation is more interested in a car that's much more drivable, fuel injection, disc brakes, power steering, that kind of stuff. Right on. You absolutely, once again, you hit the nail right on the head. 
And first of all, let's define what a younger buyer is. Might we think that a younger buyer is a 20, 30, maybe 40-year-old guy? Probably not. I consider to be in from what we see in our bidder registration records is a 50-year-old guy is really kind of a younger buyer in the collector vehicle work. Yeah, there's some people that are younger than that, but that seems to be about the transition point for a lot of us where hopefully your kids are raised, they're out of college, your career path is established or your business is established. Hopefully you're at the point in time in your life where you can kind of start enjoying the things that you're passionate about, whether it be a summer home on a lake somewhere or an RV to go travel the summers and the state parks or owning a cool car. We all know how strong the collector car market has never been stronger, never been more robust. The crowds at the auctions, the results of the auctions, our sales, price per car continue to go up, 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 up. No end in sight for any of that. There's a huge excitement. There's a huge demand for cool cars right now. doesn't really matter what year or what type of car you're talking about. It seems like there's an audience for everything out there. Frankly, it surprises me, but it also pleases me. And it makes me happy that it looks like down the road when I'm gone, the coveting, collecting, maintaining, driving continues to be something that I don't think Americans want to give up. And just a final thought to this, you got to give a shout out to those companies out there that are supplying the reproduction and aftermarket parts to keep these cars going. Without them, this phenomenon would not be happening. And the best example that I can think of is the current craze over Broncos. 15 years ago, yeah, there was, you'd see a Bronco once in a while, but thanks to the aftermarket coming on board, making every single part, you could build a Bronco out of literally from parts out of the parts catalog with no original yeah. Bronco parts. They're pretty simple vehicles. C10 Chevy pickups are another good example of that. Corvettes and Mustangs were the first two that started. The aftermarket company has been around since the 70s on those vehicles. It's these aftermarket companies that allow us to restore these cars, modify them and enjoy them. And it's giving second and third life to a lot of vehicles, but there's many, 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 this is not a pitch for any of the companies, although National Parts Depot sponsor Mecham, but they make a ton of stuff and their catalogs are free, by the way. But you just got to give a shout out to all those guys, all the aftermarket folks out there doing anything from wiring harnesses to sheet metal to A to Z, soup to nuts. You know, it's funny, John, you bring up the aftermarket, the reproduction parts, et cetera. And in another part of the conversation, you brought up how big the collector market is right now for collector cars. I think they go hand in hand. Absolutely. The availability of the parts makes it possible for guys who maybe have no skills in rebuilding a car. Now, maybe they've got a shot because they can buy the part, put it on the car, and they're pretty much done thanks to companies like National Parts Depot, et cetera. There's no doubt about it. We need them. They need us, but we need them as well. You know, those of us that have worked on cars, worked on projects, understand how critical and important that is. And we're in a really good place right now. We're in a really good place with a lot of great options to be able to sort of express our desire, whether it be a certain body style, but yet we don't want an old school power plant suspension or brake system. There's options out there. All I ask is, does anybody consider doing it to a project car that needs a lot and maybe missing its original drivetrain as opposed, you know, the donor car being a really good original car. That's not what I like to see. I like them all. That's the bottom line. Just choose carefully on your donor. Listening to this, they're inspired. They're going to go to Monterey. They want to sell something or they want to buy something. What would be their first step? Well, let's take it from the sell side first. You've got a car that you want to sell. I want everybody who might be listening to understand that we don't discriminate against low price cars. You've got a five or $10,000 car. We'll welcome it. Now, you're not going to see that car run at two o'clock on Saturday afternoon, but we're going to have a time and a place to put all collector cars 
of all price ranges. We do not discriminate. We do not turn anybody away unless you don't have a valid legal title and the car must have a VIN tag on it that is a legally affixed legal VIN tag. And in today's world of cell phone cameras, we have everybody send us a copy on your cell phone of your title and of your VIN tag. Before we get too far into the consignment process, we make sure that the car is legal for us to sell. Absolute first step, 100% of the times is you give Meekum Auctions a call, you talk to one of the consignment experts, consignment agent, and you discuss the car with that agent to make sure that we're all operating on the same page, especially when it comes to a realistic expectation of value. Guys, that is a huge point. We don't want people to consign a car and either the car doesn't bring what they want and or the car doesn't sell. We don't want that. And it's always a hard balance between being realistic with somebody about what we think the car is actually going to bring, where that might be discouraging the entry. And for those folks where we could say, oh, sure, let's give it a try. Let's get it in. And next thing you know, you got all these cars and you haven't made the sellers realistic, but you have a lot of cars on the lineup. That's a very, very fine line. So having that dialogue early on with the Meekin Consignment Department is critical to make sure that we think the car is up to the expectations of the seller within a certain window. I mean, if we think the car's worth 30000 and a guy thinks it's worth $100,000, that's going to be a problem. But if the guy thinks it's worth fifty and we think it's worth forty-five, that's not a problem because nobody can call a car within 10 to 20% either way. The collector car market is not that predictable, even with comparables that people use on our Meekum Auction website that's easy to use to be able to look at past sales. Even with that, the average age of a car to Meekum Auction is 50 years old. They were all created equal when they were new, but they're not all equal now. Some are stock, some are modified, some are original, some are color changes, some are engine changes, some aren't. There's a thousand different variables and we're well-versed in it. And we'll counsel objectively with a potential buyer to make sure that they understand what our thoughts are. The consignment process is pretty straightforward. You pay an entry fee to get it in the auction. That fee will vary from say $500 to $1,500 per car, depending on the value of the car, the day it's going to run, the time it's going to run, time and a place for everything. And then if the vehicle does sell, we collect a 10% commission. If it doesn't sell, you've only paid the entry fee. You take the car home. Now, insider pro tip, if you sell a car no reserve at a Mecham auction, meaning absolute sale, that commission rate at 10% gets cut down to 6%. You save four points. An expensive car, that's a big deal. And I'll tell you another tip. The vehicles that run across the Mecham auction block at no reserve, they get a lot of attention. And the more bidders you have on any individual lot, and this is true on any type of an auction, the higher the price is going to be. So you're seeing more and more to Mecham auction. You're seeing more and more vehicles being offered at no reserve, but yet the bulk of the cars, that consigner wants that protection of a reserve being in control of that price, not having to take less than they want. There's no risk at all with it, but those no reserve cars stand up. And we've seen a big increase. You guys as viewers of the show might have noticed that where there's more and more individual consignments and collections all the time that folks enter no reserve and save four points. Talking about a couple million dollar worth of cars in a collection, that's a lot of money. The no reserve cars, yes, they're going to sell because that's that. But do you notice those cars generally bring more money than not? If you have a reserve of, say, just for a number, $25,000, reserve $25,000, the bidding peters out around $20,000. Let's say a car goes in, same car, no reserve. It blasts over $25,000. Is it better to sell without a reserve? Let me just tell you from my personal experience in two ways. Number one, from being a Mecham Auction customer, I've sold cars and motorcycles at Mecham and memorabilia. We do that too. Schwinn Stingray bikes is an example I've sold. I've always entered no reserve. That's my personal strategy. 
at a reserve auction because I feel like those entries really stand out. They get extra attention. I tell that to a potential consigner and I advise and I counsel them on that. And I would say half of them say, man, I agree with you. I get it. I understand. I'm going to go that way. And then there's others say, I'm just not comfortable with that. Great. We'll go ahead and enter it with a reserve. Just be aware that if you want 25000 and the high bid is 20000 using your example, you will have that ability to take that reserve off and sell the car. You're not stuck to that number if the timing is right. But to give a final point to your question is, how do you know, is it the exact same car that runs through within minutes of each other to the same bidder audience that's not familiar with the other car? I don't know how you get two comparables to be able to say. I just have to base it on my experience of sitting there calling the action at Mecham Auctions on TV for the past 16 years, for being employed with Mecham since 2006, being involved in thousands of decisions from folks, no reserve versus reserve, collections, individual cars, doesn't really matter. And I will just say this, I'll say this publicly, I've said it before, never had anybody come back disappointed that they went the no reserve decision. I'm not trying to talk anybody to no reserve. It's a viable option. I believe that it works at a reserve auction. I believe in it, not for everybody. Not everybody wants to take that chance. That's why, you know, 75% of all the cars we sell do have a reserve. Shifting gears here a little bit, you've been in the auction world for quite a little while. Is there any one thing or any two things that have really shaken up the auction world? Any events that have happened or any changes that have occurred that have really made the auction world the oh wow moment? I think it's honestly the visibility. It's the fact that collector car auctions and even other automotive shows, the Build It shows and all that that are so popular right now, all of that has put car collecting, auctions, all of that. It's put that into the public mainstream. And I think it's really helped not only Mecham Auction, other auctions as well. And I think it's helped the collector car industry in general as it began kind of as entertainment. And now it's a way to sort of chronicle and document and promote what happens at a collector car auction. And as we all know, it's exciting. It's stimulating. There's the X factor there. Some people say it's the cars or it's the sound or it's the auctioneer banter. It's the pricing. The bottom line is, is it's all of that. It's this cocktail that's just magical. <laughs> now, not everybody can pull it off whether it be on television or not, not everybody can pull that off the way that Mecham does. I hate to be bragging, but we've got the best auctioneers, the best auction team, I think the best TV crew in the business, and I'm not talking about me, by the way, it all conspires to make people say, man, this is fun. This is cool. I want to be a part of it. And it's just snowballed and it's grown and it's grown. And as I said earlier, it's not going anywhere. This market is strong. This market is here to stay, especially maybe as we transition towards a future where we don't have as many choices in ICE, internal combustion engine choices. There's still many segments of the population that have an emotional attachment to these vehicles, to these powertrains, to these power plants. And I don't see it going away. I don't see it going away in new vehicles for a long time. And I certainly don't see a big craze or a big transition to alternative power, EV, in vintage vehicles. W1s or 2s, they'll be out there from time to time. But man, we do 35,000 cars a year and here it is 2023. I'm not seeing it yet. You've mentioned several times, John, having been with Mecham for nearly 20 years, you've seen cars come and go in the thousands, in the tens of thousands at this point. But what else have you seen in the evolution 
of auctions. And let's talk a little bit about road art and on time and things like that. Yes, let's talk about the transition or the addition of what we call absentee bidding, which would either be telephone bidding or internet bidding or Another way, which is actually called proxy bidding, where you can in advance let us know what your maximum bid would be on a particular lot. Let's say you're not available to attend the auction in person or be on the phone or be on a computer. You could give us a proxy bid. You can also be on the telephone and you can also be on the internet. And I will have to say that we're coming out of what I call the pandemic era now. We have learned and we have transitioned as a company being known as a very exciting live auction company, but we have improved our hardware and software over a period of time to be able to accommodate all types of this absentee bidding. And it's been huge. It has added a tremendous amount to the accessibility about what we do. Covering the action on the TV show, you see it. We talk about it. We put the camera at the internet bidder. We put the camera at the phone bidders. We even have got microphones where you can even hear what they're saying to the potential buyer on the other end of the line. And we try to cover that and bring every everybody into the experience. That has been a huge part of our growth and our accessibility. And the other part of it is what you mentioned. It's not all about collector cars. It's about tractors. It's about motorcycles. It's about road art, which that's our trademark name for anything that might be automotive related from oil cans, dealer displays, gas pumps, vintage toolboxes, neon signs, Vintage porcelain signs. I mean, the list is massive. If that market is huge, automotive memorabilia is a phenomenon right now. The prices are wild on that stuff. And Meekum Auctions, being an auction company that specializes in the sale of collector vehicles, but is wide open for anything that might fit in with that, that might go hand in hand. It's gotten to the point where we'll have memorabilia at our auctions. We'll have memorabilia specific days sometimes at our auctions, our Kissimmee auction and our Indianapolis auction are two in particular that do. And then we've got what we call Meekum on Time right now, where we're always running an auction nonstop. There's one running right now where it might be smaller items. It could be like right now, there's a big one. I just got an email notification where we're doing a bunch of diecast cars. So if you're a diecast car fan, go to Meekum.com, click on online and see what they've got out there. And I also want to stress that it's really easy to get signed up as a bidder for any of this stuff, whether you want to come to an auction or whether you want to just bid online or bid on the telephone. We don't make people jump through hoops. We're very trusting in a lot of ways. It's very simple and straightforward. And once again, you can do it online or you can call our office, talk to somebody there and get all your questions answered. And we love to hear from people. We love to help people and steer them in the right direction, but we never put any pressure. We never tell people what doesn't come from our hearts. We're too visible. We've been in business for too long. There's too much at stake to be creative. We try to give everybody the best service. Bottom line, we try to treat everybody like we'd like to be treated ourselves. And I just got to tell you guys, that strategy, once again, has really paid off for this company. We're on one heck of a roll. We blasted through the pandemic era. Not everybody was able to hold auctions. We did. We pivoted. We found a way to do it through masking and social distancing and getting special approval from various counties and organizations to help us figure out a way to do it. And even through the pandemic, we've experienced record years after record years. We're just, you know, it's incredulous, the support for the collector cars and for us as a company that's still providing the ability for folks to buy and sell and spectate and enjoy or watch our TV show and hopefully enjoy looking at the cars, even if you're not going to buy one. Obviously, we encourage that as well. Number one rated show on Motor Trend. Are you going to be at Monterey? 
Yes, I will. We are doing uh, TV on Monterey is going to be Friday and Saturday will be 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. So that's a short day for us, only four hours each day. That will be on Motor Trend TV and on Motor Trend Plus, which is their streaming service, by the way. And uh, yeah, I'll be there. So hopefully we'll get a chance to see you guys. Do you have a schedule yet on when you're going to be there? And Eric, are are you going? Yeah, we'll be there. Mm-hmm. I will be in tow. We'll be right. public on the 12th. But yeah, we'll be there literally from the 12th to the 21st. So we have a real long haul in front of us. Do you know what day you're going to be at Mecham yet? What days are you there? I remember back in the day, it used to be you started around Wednesday on setup. Was that right? Or Tuesday on setup, something like that? Let's see. I looked at the schedule. The auction will go the 17th, 18th, and 19th. That's Thursday through Saturday. We're going to be on TV the 18th and the 19th, but on Thursday, the 17th, that's the setup day for the TV side of it. The auction will be going on. The auction's got a full day of auction there. So I'll be out. If you guys are out on Thursday, let's get a chance just to hang out a little bit. Sounds good. Nobody sells more than Meekum. Nobody. Meekum Auctions is the world's leader of collector car, vintage, and antique motorcycle and road art sales, hosting auctions throughout the United States. The company has specialized in the sale of collector cars for more than 35 years, now offering more than 22,000 lots per year and averaging more than one auction per month. Mecham Auctions is headquartered in Walworth, Wisconsin, and since 2011 has been ranked number one in the world with the number of collector cars offered at auction and is host to the world's largest collector car auction held annually in Kissimmee, Florida, as well as the largest motorcycle auction held annually in Las Vegas, Nevada. Mecham's Road Art and Mecham on Time divisions offer a wide variety of collectibles for live and online auctions. You can learn more and follow Mecham and their upcoming events at www.mecham.com, or you can follow them on social at Mecham Auction on Facebook, at Mecham underscore auctions on Instagram, at Mecham on Twitter, and at Mecham Auction on YouTube. If you like what you've heard and want to learn more about GTM, be sure to check us out on www.gtmotorsports.org. You can also find us on Instagram at Grand Touring Motorsports. Also, if you want to get involved or have suggestions for future shows, you can call or text us at 202 630 1770 or send us an email at crew chief at gtmotorsports.org. We'd love to hear from you. Hey everybody, crew chief Eric here. We really hope you enjoyed this episode of Break Fix and we wanted to remind you that GTM remains a no annual fees organization and our goal is to continue to bring you quality episodes like this one at no charge. As a loyal listener, please consider subscribing to our Patreon for bonus and behind-the-scenes content, extra goodies, and GTM swag. For as little as $2.50 a month, you can keep our developers, writers, editors, casters, and other volunteers fed on their strict diet of Fig Newtons, Gummy Bears, and Monster. Consider signing up for Patreon today at www.patreon.com forward slash gtmotorsports. And remember... Without fans, supporters, and members like you, none of this would be possible.